This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. So this weekend we're still teaching, I'm still teaching about love is always thankful, but I kind of changed it up a little bit that that love is so big in our lives and and he God desires for us to have a huge heart of thanksgiving and love is audaciously thankful. Now that is a that's a that's an interesting word, audacious, and some of the definitions for it is boldly. So we need to be boldly, fearlessly, courageously thankful and adventurously thankful. And we're going to talk about kind of what that means uh, as we go along tonight. Uh, Just as a quick review, in Psalm 69, verse 30, it says, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will praise the name of God with a song. Have you ever just stopped what you were doing, no matter what it was, just stopped what you were doing, and began to sing a song to God. Or maybe instead of just stopping what you were doing, you began to sing a song of praise to God in the midst of what you were doing, while you were doing it. This is a song that we used to sing. Again, we've been singing some songs that we grew up singing uh, as teenagers, and here's another one. And if you know it, please join in. And it goes like this. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. In him will I trust. Praise the name of Jesus. I recognize that my voice is really weird this morning, so I apologize for that. I guess from singing last night. And I sang through the night, the, uh, woke up in the middle of the night and couldn't get back to sleep, so I sang for a couple hours. Probably wasn't the best thing for my voice, but... I enjoyed worshiping God in the middle of the night, so it was, it was good. The rest of that verse goes on to say, well, it says, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. Magnifying the Lord with thanksgiving. If you'll remember a couple weeks ago, and really I think we brought it out every week, um, we talked about the magnifying glass, and this is the magnifying glass that Ronnie uses, and And this magnifying glass, as you use a magnifying glass, it makes things bigger. You know, whatever you're looking at, it enlarges them. And it causes the things that are invisible to become visible. If you had a splinter in your finger and you use this magnifying glass, it would become visible. And so oftentimes God is is invisible to other people. And when we sing praise to him when we especially though when we give thanks to him it magnifies God and what that does is it brings him into focus not only for ourselves but also for other people also this microphone it enlarges the sound of my voice that's what microphones do it makes makes our voices bigger and and even the smallest sound can be heard when it's it's used when you use a, a microphone also um, I, let's see, oh, that's what this is, <laughs> the uh, binoculars. 
when you use a pair of binoculars, it brings something that seems invisible, that seems so far away that you can't see it, it brings it into focus and brings it into view. So when you're, when you're thanking God, it magnifies God. And even though to some people God may feel far away, when you begin to thank him, it brings him into focus and it brings him near. So thanksgiving is huge in our life. And I think as we continue on throughout the service today, we're going to see that even more evident. There's another song that we uh, sang when we were teenagers about magnifying God, and I'll try it. (laughs) It goes, I will magnify the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. I will magnify the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. Hosanna, blessed be the rock, let the God of my salvation be exalted. Hosanna, blessed be the rock, let the God of my salvation be exalted. So when we magnify the Lord, it brings him closer into view. It brings him closer into view for ourselves, but it also brings him closer into view for others. Are we daily cultivating thankfulness? I don't know about you, but that's been my focus for these last few weeks. As we're challenging you, it's also been a challenge to us to daily cultivate thankfulness. thankfulness. Um, You know, when we have a, a list of people that we're praying for, we continually add to that list as needs arise and as things come to our mind that we want to be praying for. And we need to do the same thing with Thanksgiving. We need to have a Thanksgiving list that we're daily adding things to it, things that we are thankful for. Lois Stalling is the most thankful person I know. Lois goes to our church. When Lois was in the prime of her life, she had a stroke and was confined to a wheelchair. She is still mentally alert, but she cannot walk and do a lot of other normal activities. She lives in a convalescent home, and the only time she really gets out is once a week to come to church. The highlight of her week is Sunday morning when someone from church goes to pick her up. It is sometimes hard to get her into the car. She has a slide board, a fiberglass board that fits under her legs and allows her to slide from the wheelchair to the car pretty easily. It's nothing fancy, just an inexpensive piece of fiberglass. Well, one day, Lois said, you know what I thank God for every day? I'm thankful for my slide board because then I can come to church. Here's Lois, a person who has all the reason to be angry and bitter about her circumstances, all the reason to shake her fist at God, but instead she is thankful for whatever little blessing she has. She's even taken time to thank God for her slide board. Lois Darling has counted her blessings. Are you counting your blessings? Are you adding things to that Thanksgiving list? That is what God would have us to do. And some of you may have heard a a little bit of my testimony on how I came to know Christ, but I just want to share a little bit about it because it really comes alongside of what we've been studying about love is always thankful. 
And right before my freshman year of high school, um, my sister had a baby, and it was the first uh, niece or nephew that I had. I was the youngest in my family, so I hadn't really been around babies that much. And so we lived in South Carolina at the time, and we went to North Carolina uh, to see her and, and to see the new baby. And, you know, as, as a approaching freshman in high school, my passion was basketball. I absolutely love basketball. And my, my mom was a basketball player in high school. Actually, that's how she attracted my dad to her. He saw her playing basketball, and he said, I want to meet that lady. And uh, so that was how their romance and life began. Uh, but... I also had an aunt that played basketball professionally, uh, which is pretty amazing. Uh, they had some basketball teams in, in the Carolinas, that women's basketball teams that were professional teams, and she played. And so I, I felt like, well, it's in my blood. I love to do it. And so I was determined as a freshman to be on the varsity team. And so I worked very hard that summer. I went to a basketball camp, and I worked very hard that summer because I was determined to perfect something that in those days, back in the, uh, actually it was the late 60s, um, well, let's see, late 60s? No, early 70s. But all that time, they it was believed that a jump shot was impossible for a girl to do, that she just was not made to, to be able to, to do a jump shot. Well, I, I decided I was going to prove them wrong. And so I practiced hours in the hot South Carolina sun to perfect the jump shot and was able to do that. So here I was approaching my freshman year. The weekend before I was to start school, my nephew was born. So we went to North Carolina, and I saw this amazing baby. And I just said, wow, this is the most miraculous thing I've ever seen. You know, he was healthy, he was whole, you know, he had 10 fingers and 10 toes, and it was just amazing, and I, I just told my mom, I said, i got to find out who to thank for this baby. And, you know, so that's the next day, which was Sunday. I said, drop me off at church, because she wasn't attending. And I, she dropped me off at the church that she grew up in. Uh, it was a Methodist church, and I went there, and I, I met God that day. It had nothing to do with what the pastor said, to be honest with you. I have no idea what he said. But I met God in Thanksgiving. And um, when I got in the car, when my mom came to pick me up, I said, well, I met God today. And she said, you what? I said, yep, I met God today. And she said, okay. <laughs> you know, and uh, as, uh, from that moment on, though, I began to take at least a half an hour a day. We lived out in the country, and I would go down by the lake, and I would just spend time thanking God and just think of everything that I could think of to thank him for. So how some people, when they come to know Christ, it's at a, a, at a time of their life where they're maybe in need or, you know, something's going on and they come to him out of desperation sometimes or, or just out of a great emptiness in their life, which I did have that great emptiness in my life. Everybody does without Christ. But my, my initial reason to come to him was to give him thanks. 
And then as I continued to do that, I began to recognize, I wasn't born again at that time, I recognized my unworthiness to come before God, you know, and recognized my, my own sin and went to a Billy Graham film called Time to Run, a movie that was in the theaters at the time and learned about the plan of salvation, accepted Christ as my Savior. But Thanksgiving has been a core foundation of my walk with God. And... Um, and so I believe he wants it to be the foundation of, the, of all of our walk with him, that thanksgiving is a key to so many of the amazing things that God has in store for us. You know, uh, uh, we talked about, I think it was last week, about the different ways that we can be creative in finding new things to thank God for so that our, our, we are magnifying God through thanksgiving on a continual growing basis. And one of those ways was to thank him for th things that we experience through our, our senses, you know, things that we see or things, what are our favorite sounds to thank him for are the things that we taste or smell or touch and to just kind of hone in on those things to broaden the things that we're thankful for but another thing that we can do is to take a verse in scripture as you're reading your bible daily to take one verse or you can take more but to take one verse and really zero in on the things that are within that verse that you can use to give thanks to God. And we're just going to look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5. I think we may have mentioned it in one of the other services. But it says, For God has said, I will never fail you. That means not ever. God will never fail you. What a promise. There is not one time that God is going to let you down. There is not one time that God is going to fail you. And then it goes on to say, I will never forsake you. God will not ever forsake you. He will never leave you alone. He will never turn his back on you. He will always be there. And then it goes on in verse 6, it says, that is why we can say with confidence, because we have these promises that we can thank God for, Lord, I thank you that you will never fail me that there's nothing that I can do that will cause you to fail me, and it's not in your nature to fail me. So I thank you, Lord, that you will never fail me. And we can ponder that and, and meditate on that and expound on that as we thank God. I will never forsake you. That God, that's a huge promise that we can thank God for. He's not going to leave us alone. You know, sometimes people deal with loneliness, but none of us are never really alone when we have a personal relationship with God. He is always there. And so as we thank him for those things and experience the, the fulfillment of those promises in our life and really trust him that this is promises that he will fulfill, it says that is why we can say with confidence. When we know who God is and we know what his word has to say and what his promises are, it brings about a confidence in our life that we can be confident in who he is and what he promises to do. And it says, and that is why we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. You know, this is not a self-help journey. This is a journey where God says, I'm your helper. I will help you. Not in any circumstance that you find yourself in, God will not hold himself back. He will always be there to be your helper. And then it goes on to say, so I will not be afraid. 
that is huge in this world that we're living in right now. We live in a crazy world, you know, and fear is running rampant in the lives of so many people throughout our world. And God says that we don't have to be afraid because why? He says he'll never fail us. Also, he says that he will never forsake us. Also, he says that he will be our helper. So we don't have to be afraid of anything. And we can, that is something huge to thank God for, that we don't have to walk in fear. We don't have to live in fear on a day-to-day basis. No matter what happens in this world, we do not have to walk in fear. But that ability not to walk in fear comes from being confident in who God's, God is and what his promises say, and then being thankful for those promises. We need to have a gra- an attitude of gratitude. You know, we've been challenging you each week to take another seven days and fast from complaining. And we've been doing that, you know, and sometimes, especially through the things that we're going to, through, you know, it's tempting to complain sometimes, but we choose not to complain, instead to find out what we have to be thankful for. And we encourage one another when we see somebody tending to be discouraged. Okay, what do you have to be thankful for? And we need to allow that uh, attitude of gratitude to be growing in our lives on a daily basis. Let's cultivate that daily discipline of giving thanks and expressing our thanks to God. So I would challenge you, take another seven days and, and to fast from complaining and instead give God thanks. And I believe as we continue to do this, as we approach the new year, it will be a lifestyle that we will say, nope, I'm not going to complain. You know, complaining doesn't do anything but make matters worse. But giving thanks, as we're going to see in this lesson today, giving thanks has tremendous benefits. Psychologists today tell us that sincere gratitude, thanksgiving, is the healthiest of all human emotions. Being thankful is the healthiest of all. Hans Selye, who is considered the father of stress. How many of you have any stress in your life ever? I think we all do. You know, we're all confronted with stress in all different levels of our life. And this man, he studies stress, and he said that gratitude produces more positive emotional energy than any other attitude in life. So if you're dealing with stress in your life, let that be a trigger. I hear people talking about triggers a lot. Even with gout, what's the trigger? You know, what's the thing that's caused this? And there's all kinds of things that people talk about. Well, let's use that word. Usually when we hear about triggers, it's triggers in the negative sense, isn't it? It's like this trigger causes me to react that way or whatever, you know. But let's, I think that we should use triggers in a positive way. And that when we begin to feel stress, let that be a a trigger to do something positive. Let that be a trigger to give thanks and to find out what we can focus in on and give thanks to God for. There was, um, as we do that, we begin to see that God does tremendous things through our thanksgiving when we determine to change our attitude. Another scripture that we can look and see what we have to be thankful for is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. And it says, how we thank God. And when we think of that word how, Ronnie and I both, we always think of Jackie Gleason. You know, that, that tells our age. We used to watch Jackie Gleason when we were kids, and he would always say on the honeymooners, how sweet it is, you know. But how is an immeasurable term. It's saying that this is, you know, it's, it's, you can't even count 
as high of a number as how much we have to thank God for. And it says, how we thank God who gives us victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's something to thank God for. If God didn't ever do anything else for us, if God never healed us, if God never provided for us, if God never did anything else in our lives, if he didn't protect us, if he didn't do any of that, just the fact that he has given us victory over sin and death is worth thanking him for every day for the rest of our life. He saved us from hell. You know, and that is something to be eternally grateful and thankful for. But he doesn't just stop there. He daily loads us with benefits. He is daily blessing our lives. So there again, that's something to thank God for. Lord, thank you that you've given me the victory over sin and death, that you've forgiven me of my sins and given me eternal life through Jesus Christ. You know, another thing that we can give thanks for and that we need to give thanks for is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 4, it says, for every creature of God is good. Now, Pastor Ron would say, yeah, possums are good and groundhogs are good and squirrels and even chipmunks and deer because we've eaten all of those things, believe it or not. (laughs) And he said, yep, every creature of God is good. But then it goes on to say how God makes all those creatures good. It said, and nothing is to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving. You know, so no matter what we're eating, you know, that we can re- we should receive it with thanksgiving. That is key to our even our health benefits is that we are thankful for the food that we receive. And it goes on to say, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So our food is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. And I would challenge you, if you have not made it a habit, of with every meal that you take into your body to take a few moments and to thank God for it and to pray that God would sanctify it, I would encourage you, that is an awesome habit to have. It does several things. Number, four, number one, it's the healthiest thing that you can do because you don't know where that food has come from or where it's passed by or what kind of impurities it's been exposed to. And to believe, you know, these days, you don't know who to believe on to what is healthy for you or not. Because if you listen to everything that you hear, there is nothing that you can eat that is healthy for you, nothing that you can drink that is healthy for you. So we really do need to pray over our food and ask God to sanctify it. And it says that we need to do it with thanksgiving. We thank him for it, and then we ask him to sanctify it and to purify it. And he will do that, you know. And the thing of it is, is taking time to to pray over our food and to give thanks is an amazing thing. You know, some of you have shared with us that when you've been to a family gathering, let's say Thanksgiving or maybe with Christmas coming up, and maybe your family, maybe you're the only believer in your family, but yet they, they have given you the honor and asked you, would you pray a blessing over our food? That is huge. That is huge. Because, see, when you pray a blessing over the food, everybody there, you are bringing them into the very presence of God. They may not have ever been there before. Because you're not just going to pray some rote prayer. You know, you're not going to pray just something that's been written out and memorized. You're going to pray from your heart. And when you pray from your heart and give thanks and ask God to bless the people that are in that room, boy, you can pray all kinds of things over a blessing. My kids always say, no, don't let mom pray because the food will get cold, you know. (laughs) But, uh, you know, we can, as we do that, you know, God can use that to, to 
give your family and your friends an opportunity to be in his presence, and it will change them. It will change them. God is addictive. Right. You know, he is addictive because he is, he is the most uh, wonderful, amazing God of, you know, he's a God of love. He's a God of peace. He's a God of joy. He's a God of hope. And so many people in our world don't have peace or joy or hope. You know, they don't experience love, but if when you pray, you're bringing them into God's presence. And, and it will actually can transform their lives. So never take that opportunity lightly if your family invites you to pray over a meal. It's a huge thing. But also when you're in a restaurant and you pray over your meal, it's a testimony to everybody in that restaurant that you have a relationship with God because you're, take, you're being bold. You're being audacious <laughs> in giving thanks. You're being adventurous. You're taking a risk in that restaurant of bowing your head and thanking God for the food and asking him to sanctify it and to purify it. And it's a witness to so many. We have been in, in restaurants throughout our lives, and when we've prayed over our food, uh, we often have someone come by and say, I saw you praying over your food. That is so amazing. You know, you hardly ever see that nowadays. And many times it all opens up an opportunity to share Christ. It's not only, you know, you don't know who's listening in the booth beside you or the waitress or the waiter that's waiting on you. So this is a, a habit of something that you should begin to do if you're not doing it already. Number one, it's a health benefit. It really works. As we pray and give thanks and ask God to sanctify it, he really does. I remember there was a story um, of some folks that were at a conference center and um, they had the, this big meal and there was one group of the people that you know bowed their heads and prayed and thanked God for the food and asked him to sanctify it. Everybody else in the room in the cafeteria got food poisoning, but not that group that prayed together. You know, so you think, that's, that's crazy. It's we have a, a God who is crazy about us, you know, and he will, he will go to the furthest limits to show himself strong in our behalf. And, and this is an important thing. It's not something to take lightly. It's some, another way that we can practice habitually being thankful on a day-to-day -day basis. There was an experiment that was done in New York's uh, Central Park where an advertising firm dressed a man up as a blind man and gave him a cup to collect money. I'm not sure what they were trying to do, but it was an experiment. And one day they put a sign around his neck that read, I'm blind. And on that day he collected about $4. The next day they dressed him up the same way and they placed him in the exact same spot. But they changed the sign to read, it's spring and I'm blind. That day he collected over $79. That day people realized how blessed they were to be able to see the beautiful flowers, the birds, to be able to see the sunrise and the sunset of spring. They began to recognize how blessed they were and they became audaciously thankful, boldly thankful, risk-takingly thankful and generous. They began, they gave generously because they were thankful. They gave out of their thankfulness. They were expressing their thanks. Here's a play on words, thanksgiving. They were expressing their thanks by giving. 
I heard a story one time about a couple whose son was killed in the war, and they gave uh, some money as a memorial to their church. And uh, they just wanted to do it in his name and in honor of his service and his sacrifice of giving his life for our country. There was another couple in the church. Once they found out about it, they also gave a large sum of money. And somebody came up to them and they said, why did you give money? Your son is alive and well. And they said, that's exactly why we gave this money. Because we wanted to give God thanks for keeping our son alive and well when he fought in the war. And so, you know, we need to allow our thanks. And this is, this is the, the, going to be the focus of, of pretty much the rest of what we're going to be talking about, that our thanks, we can express our thanks by being generous, by giving to others. And the thing of it is, is when we do that, it has a, uh, a snowball effect, I'll say, and how it brings a response in their lives. So let's, let's look at this a little bit. In 2 Corinthians, oh, let me say one more thing. Happiness is determined by our perspective, not by our circumstances. We can be ruled by our circumstances, but we, that is not the way to live life. That is not the way the, to live life uh, audaciously thankful. It is not the way to live generously. It, we need to allow our joy and our happiness to be determined by our perspective. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says, this is an amazing chapter, and if you, ever get, if you get a chance soon, read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, uh, and it, it's, it's all a story. There's a Jerus- the church in Jerusalem is in dire need. They're starving, they are being persecuted, and the Corinthian church and other churches are joining together, taking up a collection to give to the church in Jerusalem to meet their needs. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, it says, remember this. So don't forget. This is something that's important. This is something to focus on. This is something to make a priority. Remember this. Don't forget. A farmer who plants only a few seeds, and I have some seeds here. And this year we planted a lot of seeds. We plowed up probably a quarter, maybe more, of our front yard. I know that sounds crazy to do that. And planted corn. We planted 12 rows of corn. That was in addition to the rest of our garden. It's a good thing we don't live in a neighborhood where people would be hurt and offended by us plowing up our yard and making it into a garden. But we planted a lot of beans. These are bean seeds. These are beans. And we planted a lot of these too. And we put up trellises. And those beans climbed to where we could hardly reach them. We, we got so many beans. And, um, but we did not so sparingly. We did not sow just a few seeds. We planted a lot of seeds. But if you only plant a few seeds, what are you going to get? It says here you're going to get a small crop. A stingy planter will reap a stingy crop. Okay? So this relates also in the area of giving. Okay? But one who plants generously, who plants a lot of seeds, that blessings will come to someone else. When you plant seeds to bless other people, you will get, you will reap a generous crop, a big crop, an audacious crop, a substantial crop. 
and the, the blessings will, you will reap blessings. As you sow blessings and plant blessings, you will reap them. As you give, it will be given back to you. So live audaciously. Live big. Live daringly. Live with enthusiasm. And then it goes on to, in verse 9, it says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. So when you are going to be giving, and this is whether it's in a uh, giving to church, and, you know, if we take up an offering or you're giving, you know, your, uh, your tithes, uh, but also when you're giving to others in need or anytime you're giving in any way, it says you must each decide how much to give. Don't allow anybody to ever pressure you into giving. Don't allow anybody to ever pressure you into giving. And I, I don't think you've ever been pressured into giving at Faith Living Church. That's just not the way we do things, you know. And, but there are some places that there is pressure into giving. And not only in churches, but in other charities, there's pressure and things like that. And in other situations, there can be pressure. But it says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And God gives us an example. He decided in his heart how much to give. And he decided to go to the ultimate. He decided to go to the farthest, the farthest outreaches of ability to give. And he gave his only son. He gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And we see that in probably the most familiar verse to anybody is John 3.16. And it says in the Amplified Bible, for God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world. That means you and me. But it doesn't just mean you and me. It means the whole world in entirety. That he even gave up his only begotten unique son. So that whoever, and that means you and me and the whole world, believes in, trusts in, clings to, and relies on him, will, shall not perish shall not come to destruction, shall not be lost, but have eternal everlasting life. God gave an audacious gift, a daring gift, an adventurous gift, a risky gift when he gave his son to die on the cross for our sins. And that very gift is what should cause us to be audaciously thankful. That we go big when we give thanks. We don't just do it a little bit. And that we cause, and out of our thanks, it motivates us to do the things that God would have us to do. It motivates us to serve. It motivates us to obey Him. And in verse 17 of, of John chapter 3, it says, For God did not send the Son into the world in order to judge, to reject, to condemn, to pass sentence on the world. But that the world, that is us, that, that we might find salvation and be made safe and sound through him. What a huge gift. There is no gift that compares to God giving his son for us. That is audacious, huge giving, big giving. And God did that for us. As we go in on to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Don't give reluctantly. Okay, when you're going to give, and it's no matter what avenue you're giving in, whether it's in church or to an individual or to a charity, even in Christmas, okay, don't, as you're giving Christmas presents, don't do it reluctantly. If you're going to give, do it wholeheartedly because being reluctant, if you're giving reluctantly, 
It means half-heartedly, hesitantly, grudgingly, like, oh, you're hanging on. I don't want to give this, or holding back, lacking interest, being indifferent or apathetic in your giving, lacking enthusiasm. Are you an enthusiastic giver? Are you, are you lacking interest in an unenthusiastic giver? You know, I, I enjoy words. I enjoy thinking about words and learning about the, uh, the meanings of words, and I like play on words, you know, like even Thanksgiving. Let thanks cause you to give. You know, I, I just like those kinds of things. Even there's a remedy that we found for gout, and it's called Go Out. I loved it. I'm like, I love the name of this. It's got to be good. You know, it's like a play on words. Gout, go out. So anyway, um, so I love this word enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is one of my favorite words, and it comes from the Greek word entheos. And that Greek word entheos means God within. That's amazing. You know, that real enthusiasm, the real genuine enthusiasm comes from God within. I mean, people can fake enthusiasm, or they can hype up some enthusiasm, but the real genuine enthusiasm comes from God within. It also means God-inspired. It simply means full of God. Are you full of God? Are you enthusiastic? That's what this word means. Enthusiasm means entheos, God within, God-inspired, full of God. And it goes right along with one of my favorite verses. You know, we, we're all pretty familiar with Philippians 4.13, which says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength I need, which is one of, it's a, a huge verse. It's one that we should all memorize and all use daily in our lives, recognizing that, that no matter what we encounter, we can do it with God's strength. He gives us the strength that we need. Why? How? Because he's within us. God is in us. We are full of God, and he can give us that strength. But this verse that I want to share with you is not Philippians 4.13. It's Philippians 2.13, and it goes right along with it. And it starts off, for God is working in you. God is working in you. This is, you're not doing this alone. You don't have to do it alone. God is working in you. He wants to fill you. He wants to live in and through you. God is working in you, giving you the desire. Now, as God is living in us, he changes our desires. I never went out to the, on, to the basketball team. After all that hard work, I didn't even go out for the team. I'm like, nope. I got a new mission in life, and my mission was to share Christ with as many of the, my peers, my friends, and to make friends. I just went down the hallway speaking to everybody uh, so I could get to know them so I would have the opportunity to share Christ with them. God changed my desire. Basketball didn't mean anything to me anymore because I had a higher desire. And that desire was something because God was within me now. And so God changes our desires. And it says that he not only gives you the desire, but the power to do what pleases him. He's not leaving it up to us. You know, my strength runs short really quick. My creativity runs short really quick. My ability to, I can't even brush my teeth without God's help. You know, we need to see God working in us, that he's within us. We're not alone. He is dwelling in us. We are full of God and that he gives us desires 
and the power to do what pleases him. He's the one who gives us that power. It's not something that we have to muster up. It's something that he gives us. The happiest, most interesting people are those who have found the secret of maintaining their enthusiasm. Now, how do you think we could maintain our enthusiasm? It means maintaining God within, that close relationship with God, of knowing that God is living in me. You know, God doesn't want us just to live a boring life. He wants us to live an adventurous life, a life filled with enthusiasm. We should be the most enthusiastic people on this planet. We should be more enthusiastic about our relationship with God than anybody would ever be about a football team or a basketball team or a baseball team. We should be the most enthusiastic people because God is living within us. We are full of God, and He wants to shine through. So the most happiest people, the, the happiest, most interesting people are those who maintain their enthusiasm, maintaining God within. God wants us to be getting up in the morning full of enthusiasm. And that, you know, that's not always easy, is it? Especially like, well, like with me, I woke up, I don't know, I woke up every hour during the night last night. And, and then about 2 o'clock, I woke up and I went to go get something to to rub on Ronnie's feet to help it to feel better, and I did that. And then I couldn't get back to sleep. You know, I laid there and sang. That's why I, my voice is a little bit out this morning. I sang and prayed for about three hours before I finally fell back to sleep, about the time I needed to get up. But we need to get up with enthusiasm. You know, and the Scripture says that we can greet God each day and be adventurously expectant. And be sitting on the edge of our seat saying, what's next, Papa? What do you have in store for me today? Who would you have me to encourage? Who would you have me to give something to? Who would you have me to, to be a blessing to? How can you use my life today? And God can use our lives today. And that is the most exciting life that we could ever live. An enthusiastic life filled with God. Life is in an adventure. Don't let Satan rob you of that adventure that God has for each and every one of us. And believe me, he tries to rob us every day. He tries to bring discouragement. He tries to bring doubt. He brings persecution our way. You know, he brings trouble our way. He's trying to get us not to live the life that God has for us, a life of enthusiasm, a life full of God, knowing him, loving him, rejoicing in him, and impacting the world around us. That's what God wants for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. We already talked about that. Don't give in response to pressure. You know, if somebody's pressuring me to give, I usually back off and say, No. <laughs> you know, and, and rethink, Lord, what would you have me to do here? You know, and, and obey God. Don't just impress somebody else. Obey God. Do what he shows you to do. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, cheerfully, with a happy heart, cheerfully, willingly, not holding back, joyfully, and believe it or not, one of the words, when you look up the word cheerfully, one of the, the uh, synonyms for cheerfully is a, is a word I didn't even know was a word. It's chirpily. 
Have you ever heard that word? I've never heard that word. I thought Ronnie was making it up because he does make up words often. And when we were studying this together and he said, oh, it means chirpily. I'm like, you got to be kidding. You know, and he's, no, 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 that's a word. I'm like, okay. So he started going like this, tweet, 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 tweet. And I'm like, yeah, I can see. You know, when we give cheerfully, it's, we have a song in our heart, just like the birds. We're chirping. You know, we're, we're, ta- we're having joy in our giving. And that's what God says. God loves a cheerful giver. You know, it doesn't say that he loves just a giver. He loves a cheerful giver. That means that the cheerfulness is important to him. He loves a cheerful giver. And in verse 8, listen to this. This is absolutely amazing. This is worth coming out today to hear this, this verse. When we don't give reluctantly or out of pressure, when we give cheerfully... This is what happens. And God will generously. Now, God's generously is so much bigger than we can even imagine what our generously would look like. But God generously provides all. What does all mean? What percentage? 100%. 100%. He will generously provide all you need. To me, that's a no-brainer. Then I should be giving. And I should be doing it cheerfully. I should be deciding in my heart what God would have me to give and then give, wherever it is, even if it's just a Christmas present, you know? Even if it's a bag of groceries to my neighbor. Even if it's going by as you're coming out the store and the Salvation Army has a a red bucket there and there's someone collecting money for the Salvation Army, don't just walk by. Give something. Even if it's the loose change in your pocket. We don't have much change these days, do we? We don't even carry cash these days. But maybe get some, you know, just to have to give. You will find joy in it. Give cheerfully. And it says that God will generously provide all, 100% of what you need. And this isn't just your financial needs. This is any kind of need that you have, whether it's relational or... um, you know, physical, whatever kind of need it is, it says that God will generously provide all you need. And then it goes on to say, then you will always, what percentage is always? 100%. 100%. I love this verse. It has a lot of those words in it. You will always have everything. What percentage is everything? 100%. 100%. You will always have everything you need. There is no time that you will not have exactly what you need. God will some way provide as you are a cheerful and generous giver. God will always find some way to provide for you. And the neat thing is, it's not just that. It goes on to say there's a bonus and plenty left over to share with others. So as you're a cheerful giver and you give, God will generously give back to you and provide for every need that you have. It says he'll generously provide and you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to give more. So you give more and God just, it's just like the snowball effect. God just keeps giving. I've, I've heard the saying all my Christian life, you cannot outgive God. Every time you give, he's going to be given back to you. You cannot, that's not the reason to give, but you give out of motivation for your love for God and out of thankfulness for who he is and what he's done in your life. And you give cheerfully 
and you give enthusiastically because God is, is in you. You're full of God, and it's his very nature to give. And so you give in that way, and God gives back, and he gives more than you need so you can share it with others. Just like when we were sharing last week about the fish and the bread, Jesus first did what? He gave thanks. And then he distributed it excuse me, to about 15,000 people. And then they collected 12 basketfuls afterwards. They had 12 basketfuls of leftovers. That was one basketful for each disciple to go and then give it to others, to go and meet some others' needs. Romans chapter 12, verse 11, and this is in the Passion Bible. If you've never read the Passion Bible, it's, um, it's a translation. I think it only, they've only translated the New Testament and maybe Psalms and Proverbs. Uh, but it's, it's got a neat perspective in it, and so I'm going to read this uh, from the Passion Bible. It says, be enthusiastic to serve the Lord. Remember, be full of God in serving, in serving Him. Be full, be enthusiastic, be excited. You know, be, uh, let the light of God shine through you as you're serving Him. I think King James just says, serve the Lord enthusiastically. Same thing. Keeping your passion towards Him boiling hot. Don't just be lukewarm, you know. Be boiling hot for God. You know, let your passion for Him be boiling hot. Be on fire for God. Radiate the glow of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever seen anybody that just radiates the presence of God, the glow of the Holy Spirit? That's what God wants in each and every one of our lives. He, if we really come to the reality of what enthusiasm is, that it's entheos, that it's God within us, that God is shining in us, shining through us, that it will impact everybody around us. We will be radiant with the glow of the Holy Spirit. And it says, and let Him, let God, let the Holy Spirit fill you with excitement or delight as you serve Him. God doesn't want us just to live a, a life of drudgery. And when it comes time to serve Him or serve others, that we just want to bail, you know, and say, no thanks. God wants us to serve Him with excitement, with joy. He wants us to, to allow His light to shine. It says, let this hope burst from within you. Let hope burst. This world is absolutely going through a time of hopelessness. And God wants to, us to allow His hope to burst forth wherever we are. We should not be hopeless because we have the hope of the world in Jesus Christ. So we need to allow this hope to burst forth from us, releasing a continual joy. A continual joy. Now we have some, you know, very obvious uh, attacks from the enemy of our soul daily to rob us of our joy. He wants to steal your joy. And he will do it in all kinds of ways to try to, to take your joy away. But we need to allow God within us to cause that joy to overflow. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's what it says in the Old Testament. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And the enemy knows that if he can rob our joy, he's robbed our strength. If he robs our strength, we're not going to want to do anything for God. 
We're going to be so self-focused and so internal that we're not looking out. We're not, we're not looking to live beyond ourselves, to live generously, to live audaciously, to live adventurously, to live enthusiastically for God. And that's what he wants us to do. It's interesting, the word joy, something simple to remember that's kind of a way to keep your priorities in order, is the, an acronym which J stands for Jesus, O stands for others, and Y stands for you. That needs to be our priorities, Jesus, others, and you. You know, and all through these years, even though we have these core values up here, we've really smelted it all down to one, and we're kind of coming back to that's just what we need to settle in on. That our, our main focus as a church needs, it can be summed up in four words. Loving God and loving people. That's what it's all about. And we need to do it with excitement and enthusiasm. Not something that we hype up and work up, but it's because God is within us. And it's just supernaturally natural for God to burst forth, for hope to burst forth. It says here, for enthusiasm, your passion boiling hot, radiating with the glow of the Spirit. Let Him fill you with excitement, bursting with hope, and, and releasing continual joy. That sounds like a pretty enthusiastic, exciting life to me. And that's what God would have for each and every one of us. But it, it doesn't come by watching TV. It doesn't come by being consumed by games, video games. It doesn't come by even just being consumed by hobbies or work or whatever. It comes by being consumed by God and spending the time that we need to to be filled with Him daily, to be growing in our relationship with Him, to be excited. And I'm not saying that you have to give up all of, every minute of all of those things, but live a life of balance. You know, live a life of balance and giving God your best. And then it goes on to say in verse 12, don't give up in a time of trouble. You know, there's been a tendency in these last couple years to, to give up, you know. We have been experiencing a huge time of trouble in our nation, in our world. It says don't give up. And it tells us how we cannot give up. But commune with God at all. How, what percentage is all? 100% at all times. That is how we will maintain that enthusiasm. That is how we, all these other things that we've just been reading about there in, in Romans chapter uh, 12, verse 11, and verse 12, that is how these things will, will continue on in our lives. And that is how we will not give up in a time of trouble. If we're communing with God, we're spending time with Him, we're talking with Him, we're being enthusiastic, we're filled with Him. That's how we will not give up in time of trouble. And verse 13 says, take a constant interest in the needs of God's beloved people. Recognize other people's needs, whether it's a need for friendship or if it's a need for some help financially or whether it's a need for whatever. You know, be aware of the needs of the people around you. It says, and respond by helping them. Don't ignore them, but help them. Whatever the need is, reach out and help them. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9 says, As the scriptures say, as we're continuing, we were going back to 2 Corinthians now, where he's talking about giving and giving generously. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. 
their good deeds will be remembered forever. You know, when you do a good deed, whether you do it anonymously or whether somebody knows that you have done a good deed, they'll remember that good deed. It will be remembered forever. You know, uh, we, I think we shared a couple years ago about when we were, um, a few years ago, we went to Nantucket alone. And um, we had a, about 10 days there, and we just spent our time praying and, and seeking God. And it was just an awesome time. But we stopped in at Cumberland Farms, which is Ronnie's favorite store, although we haven't been there in a long while. But anyway, we stopped at Cumberland Farms to get some coffee and some cheese sticks or some snacks or something. And the line was very long. Well, we got our stuff, and we're standing in line, you know, moving towards, moving towards the cashier. And by the time we got up to the cashier, there was a Jamaican guy at the cashier paying for his food, and he turned around and he said, I want to pay for that couple's coffee. And we're like, us? You know? And he said, yep, you look like a nice couple, and I want to pay for your coffee. And Ronnie said, no, you really don't need to do that. We're fine, you know? And uh, he said, no, I want to pay for your coffee. And Ronnie said, well, you know, just pay for the coffee. We have some snacks here, too. And he said, no, I want to pay for it all. I want to pay for your coffee. I want to pay for your snacks. And we were in tears. You know, and every time we go back to Nantucket, we're looking for this Jamaican guy, you know, because he was such a blessing to us, you know, and, and he, he was just a worker. We saw him go out and get in his work van, you know, it wasn't like he was one of the rich and famous who live on Nantucket. That's not where we hang out anyway <laughs> um, when we're there. But, uh, you know, he was just a regular guy wanting to bless somebody else. So... We need to give generously. And it says that your good deeds will remember forever. We will never forget that guy. You know? And as you do good for others, you will never forget. They will never forget you. But they will never forget the good deeds that were done even more than that. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer. God provides the seed that we can plant. And then he also provides bread to eat. Don't eat all your seed. You know, a farmer knows that. You can eat some of the, you know, your corn crop, but then you save some of it to plant next year. So we need to continually be planting and being generous in giving is, is the, the analogy there. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources. As you sow, as you give, God will increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. That is amazing. God will provide you more resources to continue to give, to continue to give, to continue to give. You will be an audaciously generous person, audaciously generous. Yes, you will be enriched in every way. What percentage is every? 100%. You will be enriched in every way so that you can always... 100% of the time, be generous. Be audaciously generous. When you give cheerfully, when you give in this way, full of God, you will be always, you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Now, this is how it all comes back to thanksgiving. Your generosity will cause others to give thanks to God. And whether you do it anonymously or they know who you are, people will still go to God and give him thanks for what your obedience, for your generosity. And so God will hear all this thanksgiving and say, what's causing that down there? Oh, 
It's so-and-so gave so-and-so this out of obedience to me. And now they're thanking me. And then God says, I'm going to bless them even more. I'm going I'm to increase their resources. They're, they're not going to be lacking in anything. I will provide everything that they need and, and surplus so that they can continue to give. Does that make sense? Does that sound important in our lives? Does that sound like it could make our lives audaciously enthusiastic? You know, that we can become that kind of generous, that kind of giver. So two things, it says in verse 12, will result from this ministry of giving. As we give, this is what's going to happen. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. So the needs of others will be met. You'll be blessing others. And the second thing, and then they will joyfully express their thanks to God. You are the reason for people to thank God. That's huge. And do you think that blesses God? Yes. You know, does it bless you when one of your children does something good without you even encourage them they do something good, just out of the generosity of their own heart? But even if you do encourage them, if they obey and they do it, it's like, wow, that's my kid there, you know? That's the way God feels and even more so. And he will continue to bless you and give you more than you need so you can bless others. Being generous causes others to give thanks and it gets God's attention. As a res- in verse 13, as a result of your ministry, they, as a result of your audacious generosity, they will give glory to God. They will express thanks to God for your generosity to them. So that kind of brings us full circle in love is always thankful. And out of our thankfulness, we give. And as we give out of our generosity, it causes others to give thanks to God. And it's absolutely an amazing way to live life, to live generously, to live audaciously generous and audaciously thankful. Would you like to move from the griping street, the grumbling street, to the grateful street? Now's the time. It's time for a move. It's time to stop complaining and instead to be grateful and to allow our thanksgiving, our thankfulness to cause us to be generous givers, to live generously. Thanksgiving strengthens our faith and empowers our prayers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness in our lives. Lord, you daily load us with benefits. Father, we are so thankful for the health that you give us. We're thankful, Father, for the friends that you give us, for the family that you give us, for for warm homes to live in and food to eat. Lord, we could go on and on and on all day long thanking you. And Father, we thank you that you are increasing, Lord, our capacity to give. Lord, that we can be generous so that others will give you thanks. Father, that's our desire, to live enthusiastically, full of you, because we know that it is in your nature to give. And if you're living within us, it will be in our nature to give. So, Father, I just ask that you will help us to live this out today, tomorrow, and the rest of our lives. Lord, that we would experience just the joy of living for you. If there's anyone here today and you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, we want to give you that opportunity. As we reaffirm our faith in Him, we invite you to pray out loud with us. Dear Heavenly Father, we believe that you gave. You gave generously. 
You gave boldly. You didn't hold anything back in giving us your son as a sacrifice for our sins so we could be forgiven and live a new life. We receive that forgiveness and we thank you for his sacrifice. We believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He paid for them in full. And then he rose from the dead to give us a new life. And we thank you. And now we give our lives to you that we can live full of you, enthusiastic, generous, joyful believers. In Jesus' name, amen.